Are you ready for an open discussion with the best of the best and the best of what's next? Welcome to the Tony D'Urso Show. Join in on a great conversation today with some of the world's great influencers as they showcase great advice and techniques that made them the game changers they are today. Now, here's Tony D'Urso. Welcome. Thanks for hanging out with us. Today, we're chatting with someone at the top of their category, an elite entrepreneur. We're going to talk about old rules to break with Mark Samuel. And later in this episode, we have an insider's brief about the digital divide. Tens of millions of people in the U.S., many of whom live in rural areas, don't have access to the kind of basic technology that most of us seem to rely on to communicate each and every day. We'll tell you more about the issue and what's being done about it later on in this episode. Now, I'm certain that you, yes, you, listening to this right now, you're involved in a product or a service in some way. And here's my ESP at work. You work with others, don't you? I know, I'm right so far, right? It's nearly impossible to have a very sustainable business making good income and doing everything 100% by yourself. What does that mean? That means we have a team, even if you hire out on a project basis. You have a team. You depend on people. Everyone you know in the world, everyone that's famous, any celebrity of any size or stature, they depend on people. They have a team. And you need people to do their part for you to have success with your vision. So now I ask you this question. What would happen if at whatever level you're at, that your projects complete 25% faster? I want you to think about that for a second. And while you're thinking about that, This episode is all about helping you and your friends turn your vision into reality. We want to help you get very successful at growing your business to a high, sustainable level. So wherever you are on that rung on the ladder, whether it's five, six, seven, eight digits or more, you want to go to the next level, I presume, or even just hold steady and sustain where you are now. So meet Mark Samuel. He's a transformational leader with over 30 years of experience in the business world. And he's going to take us into a deep dive into our teams. He's going to help us all out. And his best-selling book, by the way, is titled Reimagine Teams, the missing piece in team building to achieve breakthrough results. Let's get into it. Hi, Mark. Welcome to the Tony D'Urso Show. Thanks so much, Tony. I really appreciate your introduction and and how you describe the importance of teams to every organization, regardless of size. Totally critical. Yes, it is. When you think about it, even while I was reading that off and thinking about, you know, different people that need help, I was thinking of myself at five years old delivering newspapers. And you could say, hey, I did that all myself. But there was still a team involved. Who made that newspaper? Who printed it? Who made it available for me to pick up? Even though I was an entrepreneur, I depended on people. I know it's probably a little silly, but I cannot really think of somebody who can do everything by themselves. Really? And if you use the bicycle, who made the bicycle in a way that you could trust that it was going to work well for your deliveries? Yeah, it was hard to have uh, at the time of my newspaper at one point in the height of my career, if I want to say it, I had four routes. And the only reason I could have four routes, that's four huge neighborhoods, was because of a bike. Otherwise, yeah. forget about it. <laughs> all right. Mark, we're all looking forward to learning about old rules to break and what that even means. But let's just kind of go back a bit and let's just start from 
How did it all start for you? Well, you know, it's to me, it, it, it's always been about teams. You know, I grew up with teams. So I grew up playing baseball. I grew up uh, playing basketball, football. Everything was about a team sport. And then I got involved with music and then I became part of bands and orchestras and those kinds of things. And that's a team. And for me, that became my foundation for always wanting to be part of a group that produced a result that you know, that you could measure the result and come out winning or losing, but learning from the losses. And, and to me, it was all about the camaraderie of the teams, but also the refinement of how we executed, whether in a band, playing in a studio, or whether on a baseball field, really trying to, you know, get the smoothest, fastest play going. It was always about execution, camaraderie to make that happen. And I just love that environment. So when I got, you know, my master's degree in business, the area that I wanted to focus on was organization development and, and primarily team building, which I ended up having a great mentor in at uh, the University of California, Irvine. And boy, it just that to me just rocked, you know, being able to work with teams and helping them to become more effective and achieve their goals. Uh, that to me is a thrill. So I've done it ever since. Although I have to say my thinking about teams has changed quite a bit over the years from what I learned in graduate school to what I'm now doing in organizations to get breakthrough results in rapid time. All right. And I'm getting this. And one question that comes up is, okay, you've worked with teams. You, you could have done anything in the world. Is there a point where in your career, your history, you go, I want to focus on this. I want to help people with their teams. This is, this is a business. This is, I can really go somewhere. Let's talk about that vision and how that then evolved. Yeah, I think it was actually fairly early on because what I was seeing in organizations that was, to me, so disturbing was what I refer to as the silo impact in organizations, silo thinking, silo behavior, where every functional area is out to be the best functional area, but no one's thinking of the impact on the organization and the impact on other functional areas. So for me, uh, it was so disturbing because I know that from my previous days in sports and music, we can never function as silos. You know, can you imagine? I, I played drums. Can you imagine me thinking as a silo, not considering the impact on the guitars and the bass and the piano and keyboards and such like that? It just didn't make any sense. And same with baseball. You know, it didn't matter what position we played. We're always thinking about the impact on each other. But in organizations, many times you literally had no communication or contact with other functional areas before you were doing things that affected them. So you weren't solving problems together. You weren't making decisions together. And to me, it just created such a blame game environment that any breakdown that occurred, you're blaming the other functional area, or you're blaming a teammate, or you're blaming upper management, or you're blaming you know, the, the, uh, the associates in your organization. And that blame game for me is so disturbing. And there was never a point where I played on any kind of a top performing sports team or music group, which I was fortunate to be on at different times where we could ever have survived in a blame game environment. 
it's totally the opposite of a learning and growing and getting better environment. In fact, you know, the way I look at it is, I actually think of many organizations as operating as amateurs rather than professionals, because you would never do that on a professional sports group or a professional music group. What you really need to do is say, are we coming together for one purpose and we're all going to help each other to achieve that purpose together? That to me is what's where organizations need to go and what's exciting about being part of a team. Like you've got a natural support system. Mark, you're going to have to educate me a little bit on this and perhaps maybe some in the audience. I have not been in corporate America for, I would think, a good couple, almost a couple decades by now. You know, as an entrepreneur, we think differently, but you you keep talking about, and you've explained it as well, you keep talking about people making themselves the silo uh, effect or environment where they operate on their own. It's been a long time. Is that a, a norm out there these days that you're seeing in the workaday world? People just want to do their own thing, punch in, talk to nobody and punch out at the end of the day. That sort of a thing to just leave them alone because it's like, how can you work? How could how could how could anybody pay somebody like that? <laughs> and so I like I actually would like a little just a little short education on that. What's going on? And maybe us entrepreneurs can take a look in our own uh at our own team and see if that's uh, happening. Well, I think there's two parts to that in terms of how it gets introduced. And, and, and let's be clear, not every organization is the same and not every organization um, needs to have teamwork in the same way. Let me give you an example. As an entrepreneur where you're really small, you depend on heroes. <laughs> who are going to lead their area and create a huge impact without having lots of resources because you're small, you're trying to get started, you don't have the resources, but you got to make the you got to make the you know you've got to make the splash in the marketplace. So you need a a hero salesperson, you need hero marketing people, you need hero operational people that can produce, and you need that everyone to be rock stars, if you would, to get everything moving. So. In, in reality, for small organizations, you want people that can operate very effectively and efficiently in somewhat of a silo um, you know, mentality, because that's what's going to get you started. However, as soon as you grow enough that you can't do it all and you need other people to do it, now all of a sudden you don't have those heroes. It's not just the brilliant person that's driving everything. You now depend on people who have to learn it, produce it on a consistent basis. And that's where it starts to get into trouble where people create those silos. Now, let me give you an example. I was working with the CEO and his two favorite messages is I want heroes and I want people to stay to their lane. That's his way of describing it. Stick to your lane, which means basically I'm going to stick to my expertise. I'm going to do whatever my expertise is. I get to be the hero in that. But guess what? As organizations evolve and grow, they create greater interdependence on each other. In other words, the hero tech person, you know, or the technology department is going to impact operations, is going to impact sales, is going to impact HR. It's going to impact finance. You can't make a change without impacting a bunch of other people. So if you're doing it to optimize technology, but you're not thinking of the impact on others, that's where staying in your lane 
causes major disruption and breakdown, and in many cases, bottlenecks. So, you know, all of a sudden, it's like we can't get approval to move forward unless one person approves it because it's in their lane. That just doesn't, that just doesn't work. So in a way, it looks like it's going to be efficient to everyone stay their lane. But as the organization grows, it actually becomes quite inefficient because of all the breakdowns that occur that then you have to fix afterwards. This is the Tony D'Urso Show, where you can learn from the wisdom and success of others to help you move on your vision path. Just ahead, the chat continues with Old Rules to Break with Mark Samuel. But first, it's time for us to take a short break. See you back here in just a moment. Did you know that according to the CDC, one person dies every 36 seconds in the United States from cardiovascular disease and that one in four deaths is attributable to heart disease? So if you're not taking your heart health seriously, you need to act now. And now you can take an all-natural daily supplement that not only helps protect your heart from free radicals and helps boost athletic performance as well. It's a brand new specially formulated supplement with a powerful blend of essential nutrients, antioxidants, and botanicals to optimize your heart health naturally. Snap Supplements Heart Health is loaded with naturally grown herbs and nutrients that work in partnership with you to help keep your heart healthy and performance strong. I've been taking this for a few months now and I got to tell you what I did. First, I used to take a number of supplements for all sorts of good reasons, probably the same as you including green drinks, and I really wanted to see and feel the effectiveness of SNAP, so I set everything else aside and just took that, with a few minor items. Again, I'm just saying what I did, and the result is, I feel great, I'm full of energy, my brain feels sharp, and that's a good thing, can you tell? And I'm sure my heart and blood are doing just fine. SNAP Supplements is offering my listeners a 10% discount on their first purchase by using the link SNAP cardio.com slash d-u-r-s-o that's s-n-a-p-c-a-r-d-i-o dot com slash d-u-r-s-o try it out your body will thank you snapcardio.com slash d-u-r-s-o you're listening to the tony d'urso show with special vip guests now back to tony and his guest All right, we're back on the Tony D'Urso Show, where you can learn from the wisdom and success of others to help you move on your vision path. Today's show is about old rules to break with Mark Samuel. And check out my Elite Entrepreneur interviews on Apple Podcasts, or you can find everything back to day one at TonyDURSO.com slash podcast. And now, back to the chat with Mark. I think about some people in the organization with excessive pride, hubris. Look at me. I did all this. Oh, really? You did it all? Okay, take away your team. Okay, go ahead. Go make the nuts, make the metal, make the machine, print the course, print the book. Go ahead. It's impossible. I've been in sales for, for a long time back in the corporate days. And I was always impressed when I spoke with a good salesperson. And I would say, you know, uh, how do you do it? What's your thing? And he would always say, it's the people that support me that have helped me become who I am. And I thought that was really cool. That's something to learn from. 
but it's, it's kind of hard because you want the people to excel. And we may be going off a little bit because um, I have some questions about teams, but perhaps we'll just touch upon that one because you, you want the people to, to excel. But again, it's not all about you. It's about the team and everybody working together. So maybe you could just give a little bit because I want to dig more into it. And, and, and I have a couple of questions, but I, uh, I just wanted to kind of get your take on that. Yeah, you want people to excel, but ultimately the excelling at some point becomes how do I become a good critical business thinker, not a specialist? Because if I can't integrate my specialty into knowing how it's going to impact the business, I can do great things for my specialty and completely derail the organization. And so for me, when I'm working with executives today, it's all about critical business thinking on how well do you understand the whole business, not just your slice of the business, but the entire business. Even a good salesperson has to understand operations and how it's going to, whatever product or service that they're offering is you know, going to get delivered. Because if they make the promise and they sell it, but it doesn't get delivered, you got an unhappy customer, you know? So it's like, how does all that going to work together? It's when marketing puts on ads without understanding what's selling, that becomes a, a mess. So it's, you've got to get beyond whatever it is that your, your field is to understand what are all the implications across the organization. I mean, I just heard of it yesterday. So marketing is putting out an ad for in a retail uh, market that is an item that's already selling off the shelf. And because of supply chain, they can't get enough. But let's have an ad to reduce price to bring people in to go buy it. <laughs> like, I'm sorry, that just doesn't make any sense. But guess what? No one in marketing is talking to anyone that's, that's in the retail stores. <laughs> Absolutely amazing. And Mark, as you're saying all this, I'm thinking, you know, you're bright, you're intelligent, you're an author, you're a speaker. And I'm thinking, why did you go down this road? It almost sounds like the earlier question where I asked about the vision and how it started to go on teams. And now I want to know, why are you doing what you're doing? What's your purpose in all this? Yeah, for me, it all comes down to, I hate seeing people frustrated, discouraged, and working hard without being able to be successful. And there was a long time ago, back in literally the early, early 80s, 83 to be exact, when I kept seeing things, I kept working with, with leaders and in, in developing them, kept working on improvement efforts, change efforts, and it wasn't sustainable. It just wasn't sustaining. People would do it for, you know, the honeymoon period where they do it for the week after, the month after, two months after. And then all of a sudden, people go back to their old ways. And what I discovered was there was a breakdown and it was consistent. It didn't matter what industry. There was a breakdown in what I refer to as that cross-functional shared teamwork. Like people were always doing what was comfortable for them at the expense of what was good for the organization. And they just never had a sense of how to be a team in organization. Everyone was a functional specialist expert. And everyone looked at their role as my job is to drive excellence in my department. 
Well, no. Your job is to drive excellence in support of the organization's success, not your functional success. And that switch in mindset was, was to me the biggest factor. And the reason for that is every breakdown that we saw in organizations had something to do with the breakdown in teamwork. Now, we would call it something else. Oh, it's a breakdown in communication. It's a breakdown in coordination. Oh, we didn't plan it well. Oh, we, you know, we had a problem, but we didn't solve it effectively. Yeah, but if you look behind the, if you look under that very surface, you know, conclusion, what you're going to find is, oh, we never got the right people in the room together. Oh, we didn't include people in the communication. Oh, we didn't get people's ideas about what the impact would be with our solution. We just went driving our solution. Yeah. So what you had was, you know, missteps, breakdowns, um, and everyone's frustrated because everyone's working super hard to produce their results. But there's nothing more frustrating than I'm going to produce this. I'm going to work extra hours. I'm going to work on the weekends only to find that the next department over that needs to take what you did and produce the result doesn't come through. (laughs) Or you can't. You're working hard on a project and and senior management is, in fact, holding you accountable to a schedule. But when you ask them for information, they're not ready to share it yet. And you can't move on without getting that information, but you're the one accountable for meeting the deadline. I mean, we literally are putting people in lose-lose situations, even though we're asking them to work extra hours, extra hard on weekends, at nights to produce results, but they can't produce it alone. They depend on upper management, another department, and there is the failure right there. And for me, that that's so demoralizing especially when it doesn't have to be that way. And as soon as you switch it, I literally watch people thrive, burnout come down, but we're actually accomplishing 50% more, 100% more than we did before. But it's not because of hard work. It's because, oh, we're not having to waste time dealing with all the breakdowns that we used to have from our miscoordination. We're talking about old rules to break with Mark Samuel, and you can find him at bstate.com. Now, that's the letter B and then the word state, S-T-A-T-E.com, bstate.com. Now, I want everyone to do this exercise with me, and I don't know the answer, but I'm thinking as soon as I see that bstate.com, I'd like to know what you think, but here's what I think, Mark. Don't give it away yet. I, the way, when I think of why would you call a website B-State, and I'm thinking, well, when I'm going to a journey, a destination anywhere, it's like I'm going to destination B, A to B. Even though there's routes and uh, you're, you're stopping at a destination, you stop at a motel, you go here, you go there, you fly. So I'm going to say that that your website is because that's where we want to be. We want to get to B. I want, I want my seven digits now. I want to go to B, B state. So tell me, am I right or am I wrong? You're absolutely right. I think that was a brilliant way to think about it. And it's so true. We never want to get stuck in our A state. And we certainly don't want to get stuck in just continuous improvement to go from a better A state, like an A plus state. 
we actually need to, at times, change our paradigm, change our mindsets to create what we refer to as breakthrough results. So for us, it's not just going from A to B, it's going to a B that's actually going to create a breakthrough in our performance, in in the morale of our organization, in the service to our customers, like literally be game-changing breakthroughs and not have to take years to do it. Like we're talking about taking months to create a breakthrough change. Just to give you an example, there's again, an organization that has been decentralized and now they've grown to the point where they can't be decentralized, but they needed that at the beginning, like we talked about before, heroes that create great results. But now that they're growing, they need greater consistency. They need standardization. They need to prevent risk. They need to uh, abide by government regulatory standards. So now they're looking for consistency. So they brought in a merchandising group to now create consistency and standardization, centralization, but with two to three years of resistance from the directors of each of the business units because they got to be kings and queens of their own area. Now you're asking me to give up that so that we can have standardization. I don't want to have anything of it. So yeah, they might even agree, but then they make exceptions and all that kind of stuff. In a day and a half, I had a day and a half with them just earlier last week and said, okay, let's change the game. Let's elevate you. Instead of being responsible for your business unit, you're actually responsible for the whole business. And all of you together as a team are going to drive centralization in a way that makes sense to support your stores being better, but also support the growth of the organization. And literally, half a day, they're, they're all the most resistant people are going, wow, that's exciting. That's a whole new role for me. So instead of being pushed into it, we said, let's create it the other way. Let's create, have them create it. Let's them be the accountable ones for it instead of it being the organization making them do it. No, I said, no, you guys just do it. Take the lead. And the whole next day we spent literally setting up the entire plan and operation for making that happen with everybody's excitement and enthusiasm and alignment. So how long does it create? How long does it take? To create a true culture change, if you know how to work with a team effectively, sometimes just one day and the whole game changes. Now, that doesn't necessarily sustain it. We'll see what happens. But at least they've made the shift with the enthusiasm and excitement and literally people thanking me afterwards for moving to a model of the business that they were resisting for two to three years. Now, that to me is breakthrough. Results. This is the Tony D'Urso Show, where you can learn from the wisdom and success of others to help you move on your vision path. Just ahead, the chat continues with old rules to break with Mark Samuel. But first, it's time for us to take a short break. See you back here in just a moment. Cha-ching! It's the sound we all love. It means the sale, money. And it's the sound of another sale on Shopify, the all-in-one commerce platform to start, run, and grow your business. That's S-H-O-P-I-F-Y. 
Now, Shopify gives you, the entrepreneur, the resources once reserved for big business. So upstarts, startups, and established businesses like yours can sell anywhere. With Shopify, you can synchronize online and in-person sales and effortlessly stay informed. As you know, scaling your business is a journey of endless possibilities. And I love how Shopify has the tools and resources that make it easy for any business to succeed from down the street to around the world. Now, all entrepreneurs have something to sell, whether it's a product or a service. Well, search for your category on Shopify and you're going to be amazed at the suggestions. Perhaps that will stimulate you to create another great product to sell and cha-ching! And did you know Shopify powers over 2 million businesses from first sale to full scale? So let's put yours in that group also and synchronize your online and in-person sales. It's more than a store. Shopify grows with you. Go to shopify.com slash Tony, all lowercase, for a free 14-day trial and get full access to Shopify's entire suite of features. Grow your business with Shopify today. Go to shopify.com slash Tony right now. Shopify.com slash Tony. And that's S-H-O-P-I-F-Y dot com slash T-O-N-Y. And cha-ching your way to the top with Shopify. You're listening to the Tony D'Erso Show with special VIP guests. Now, back to Tony and his guest. All right, we're back on the Tony D'Erso Show where you can learn from the wisdom and success of others to help you move on your vision path. Today's show is about old rules to break with Mark Samuel. and now. Back to the chat with Mark. Mark, we're going to talk about some more old rules to break. And I got something really cool for you for our audio podcast listeners. I've got a picture of Mark's book, Anytime Showing Up, right there, Reimagine Teams. And again, the, the tagline is the missing piece in team building to achieve breakthrough results. There's the book. And, and you can find it at that bstate.com. That's an easy place. And I'm just looking through it. And it, there's some old rules that need to be broken. You've mentioned some, we've talked about some, and you could just say really fast, number one, I just said blah, blah, or whatever, but let's go into what are the six old rules? They're old. We don't want them anymore. We got to break them. Tell us. Well, the first rule that needs to just change is you cannot build a team off the field. (laughs) Now, what do I mean by that? It's like, I I don't create a baseball team in a planning dinner together or okay let's do a ropes course together or let's you know let's do some um trust exercises together i never once was on any sports team or music group that started by building the team focusing on relationships off the field we were either in the rehearsal hall or we were you know in my earliest days in the garage playing music, but I was always on a baseball field. That's where we built the team. You built the team based on execution, not on relationships. That's the biggest mindset change that we all have to make. And all the team building, even when I learned team building and when I started off doing team building from my graduate studies was all based on, well, first you gotta build trust and you have to have good relationships. Well, the problem with that is 
there's relationship trust and there's execution trust. And you can be good friends and have good relationship trust and not have execution trust. What is execution trust? Is based on credibility. And credibility gets established by doing what you say you're going to do. Meeting expectations, communicating when there's a problem. And you, you can have great relationship trust, but if the execution trust isn't there, it doesn't mean anything. But where does execution trust come from? Agreements on what's expected of each other. How are we going to show up when there's a problem? How do we include each other? And it's all about the execution is what creates teams. And what ultimately creates team relationships is being able to depend on our teammates for executing the way we all thought would be the optimal way to execute. All right. We're going to run through these now. Number two, old rule, break it. <laughs> yeah. It's that all teams get built in the same way, in the same order. It's not true. Different teams are at different levels with different purposes. So if I'm on a team where we all have the same, let's say it's a, uh, um, uh, uh, at the individual contributor level, and we're all here on the manufacturing floor and we're all having to produce a product, well, we all need to be supporting each other and challenging each other when someone's breaking a safety commitment. We got to point that out so this person doesn't get hurt. If someone's learning something new on the line, then I'm there to help support that person. We have to give feedback, and, and that's really important. If I'm on a leadership team and we all have different functional areas, I don't want you necessarily in my functional area giving advice, nor should that be expected. It's a different role and different levels of complication. So in some organizations, we start by just sharing, where do we want to be in a year? But for other groups that are just forming, we, they can't think about six months from now or a year from now. They need to think in terms of what do we need to function just to survive in day to day? And, and it's the one thing I had to learn because I had my one approach to building teams. And I thought, wow, this just doesn't work when it's a new team versus an existing team. Or how do you build a team that is in multiple countries? And they don't get to get together. You know, it's just like, wait a minute. They're in different time zones. Oh, we can bring them all together, but that's not reflecting their reality. So you can create great agreements when we're all together. As soon as you scatter into different time zones, now how do you do cross-functional problem solving or decision-making? They're not there. You have to build the team on the field that they're actually going to play in and you have to adjust your approach to the teams based on where they are, not based on your methodology. All teams are not built the same way. I like that. All right. This is getting good. Well, it's been good. This is getting gooder. Okay. I'm being, that's <laughs> not good at grammar, but, right. but you'll all remember that now because I said it. It is getting gooder. That's going to be my new tagline. Okay. Num num <laughs> number three. Oh, this is a huge one. It, and it's one that's bothered me for such a long time. Over the years, when I first got into doing team building back in the 80s, the ideal size of a team was 8 to 12. And then it sort of went up in the 90s to 2000s to, okay, now we could deal with 15. 
<laughs> and now if you go to any of the experts and boy, there's experts, man, they all say it's they're either the agile experts or the lean experts or the whatever experts. Now it's 25. You can't have a team larger than 25. And I always said one thing about that. Is that because of the team or is that the limitation of the facilitator trying to develop the team? By the way, quick aside, when I grew up in corporate America, is that, does that even make sense? I grew up in corporate America. The maximum amount of team was five. And then, but then any of those people would have to have, but nobody could get more than five. And that was considered the ideal group. Right, exactly. So in reality, you don't form a team based on the perfect number. You form a team based on where is their need for interdependence and working together. And just to give you an idea, we do a lot with middle management teams, which in most organizations aren't even thought of as a team, which is why they're so dispensable. <laughs> because anytime you have a middle manager making decisions, that they're automatically siloed because they're not part of a team where they get to learn about the impact of their decisions and solving of problems on other areas. So, of course, that's not going to work. I even see, I, I was literally working with an organization, a pharmaceutical, that literally has a tier system, and they skip middle management and go right to senior level. <laughs> Here's the problem. Now let's boom it up to senior. And middle management has no say as a team on how to solve it. So it's like, of course, they're, you know, minimized in terms of, of, of effectiveness. But I have to tell you, in one organization, just to give an example, and I can give you many, manufacturing, healthcare, medical centers, et cetera, that middle management group is the key to really getting change happening fast. Because senior management's too far, and middle management is the one that actually drives operations. So we put them together. We had 65 people in the room together. Now, do we make you all the broke the rule of teams? <laughs> that's right. Broke the rule of teams, but I have to where's my 25? That's right. But they we were having a change, making a very major change effort that was across all these middle management areas and project leaders. We included them in it as well. And we brought them all together. Now, does that mean that they're making every decision together? No. Does that mean they're solving all problems with 65 people? No. Does that mean though? That within that 65, we want them operating the same way, executing the same way, including each other in the same way. Yes. So they're still going to work in sub teams and report to the larger team. But I have to say, their project was to make a major organizational change that was estimated to take a year and a half. They completed it in nine months. Bravo. Now, why was that? Well, wait a minute. Teams, it's going to slow it down. Too many people create confusion. No, not if you know how to structure it well and, and get everyone purposeful. Not if they read your book. That's right. Not if they read my book. I mean, it really, that was the whole point of it, was getting how do we understand how each other is affected? Relationships improved, morale improved, and performance improved. Costs went completely down. Like they saved millions of dollars because they removed all the duplication of effort that was happening before that nobody even knew about because they were all separated. Now, I have to say, this is a worldwide team. So you had people 
coming from North America, South America, Europe, Asia. And those were the main continents that were being represented. So, yeah, we had to get everybody together, creating agreements around how we're going to support, connect, communicate, plan in an efficient way, given that level of breadth for the organization. But that's happening more today, not less. Very insightful. And if, it, if anyone's counting, keeping track, where are we? Three out of six. So now we're, we're going to number four of six old rules to break. Yeah, you can't build a team in an event. No event. In an event? Yeah, like event. Like, oh, let's have a team building, two-day team building offsite. And we're all going to get everybody together. And we're going to all feel really good at the end. And we're going to make these agreements and action plans and do these assessments and feel really good. Teams evolve over time. So, yes, you can get it started in an event, but you have to do the follow-up afterwards to see how does it need to morph. It's like, can you build a baseball team in one practice? No. (laughs) You have to practice, go to a game, modify in the next practice, see how they perform, modify in the next. Same with the musician team. Same with the dancing group. It's like... You can't build it all at once and expect it to stay the same. They evolve. And I've had teams that actually performed super well, but they needed to go to another level. And you got to treat that differently and take them to another level. It's like even trust changes over time. At first, we have one level of trust to get by. Then we get a deeper level of trust. And then we get a deeper level of trust. Well, great. How does that going to change your execution? So. Everything is about how we execute, and no team stays the same over time. New constraints, new people, new situation, old people that that change their habits, that you have to now adjust. I like that. Teams evolve, and if you want to be successful, you have to help them evolve and evolve with them. All right. Number five of old rules about teams that need to be broken. Let's break this one. Oh, this is a big one, too, because what most people think is team accountability and team ownership means nobody's accountable and nobody has ownership. So that's why we're always thinking of let's delegate it to the one person and they'll just bring people together to make it happen. No, team accountability and team ownership, shared ownership is what we call it is the key to fast results. And why is that? Because ownership does not mean making every decision. Ownership does not mean I have to be involved and approve everything that's being done. Ownership means I have a stake in making sure this project or you as the leader of this project is successful. That's the ownership. If you're not successful, I'm not successful. Therefore, what my job is in having ownership is helping to solve any obstacle or breakdown that's going to prevent success. Now, if I talk to a leadership team, I don't want them to to say, these are the three priorities. Now let's delegate those out. And now it's hands off. Because how many times is whoever's delegated to is trying to implement their project, but don't get the support of the other leaders. (laughs) That happens all the time. 
Why don't they support it? Because they've got their own priorities. And if I take time to support you, then I'm not getting my thing done. Or you hit me by surprise needing something that I don't have the resources to do. So I'm either going to support you and not get my thing done, or I'm not going to support you and be blamed as not a good team player. What we do in, in this case is say, no, no, no. Whatever breakdown on those top priorities, not everything, but the very top priorities, shared ownership. We all will help to solve the problem. This is the Tony D'Urso Show, where you can learn from the wisdom and success of others to help you move on your vision path. Just ahead, the chat continues with Old Rules to Break with Mark Samuel. But first, it's time for us to take a short break. See you back here in just a moment. Voice America programs are now available on your favorite connected device, including Amazon, Alexa, and Google Home. Through streams with Apple Podcasts, TuneIn, and iHeartRadio, listening to your favorite show is as easy as saying the show name followed by the word podcast. Hey, Alexa, play Finding Your Frequency podcast. If that doesn't work, try adding on TuneIn or on iHeartRadio or on Apple Podcasts. You're listening to The Tony D'Urso Show with special VIP guests. Now, back to Tony and his guest. All right, we're back on The Tony D'Urso Show where you can learn from the wisdom and success of others to help you move on your vision path. Today's show is about old rules to break with Mark Samuel. And now, back to the chat with Mark. And guess who's going to solve the problem more often than anybody? The one not involved in it. Because those involved in it have lost their objectivity. They're not creative. They're not innovative. They're stuck in whatever paradigm they're in. So oftentimes, it's the person not involved that actually says, well, wait, have you thought about doing it this way? Have you thought about doing it that way? And now, all of a sudden, you get fresh ideas. Most times now, if I'm not involved, well, that's when I look at my email in the meeting. (laughs) (laughs) You know, Mark, this is... This sounds similar to, but different from the one breaking on the hero, where the person is just all about doing himself. This really pushes that guy out. It's similar, but it's kind of like side by side on that. It's very interesting. Now, number six, what you got for me, Mark? This was my rule. I'm breaking my own rule. And you have to understand, many of these rules started out as my rules until I discovered that they weren't. They weren't actually practical. And this one was a big one. I had major resistance in thinking that any team could be built without getting all the players in one room together in person. And then all of a sudden, the pandemic hit. (laughs) And I had these assignments, many of which said, no, we're not building the team now because we can't get everybody in because we can't travel and we can't be in the same room together, literally can't be in the same room together. So now what do we do? Well, I had to adjust my thinking to say, how do we build a team remotely? How do we build a team using the virtual formats like Zoom or MS Teams or some other format? How do we actually do that? And literally, it took us three and a half months. And I had 10 people working on it, refining, trying it, refining, trying it, refining it until we found that we could actually get the same measurable results that we were getting before, but it was all done virtually. 
We improved relationships, we improved execution, and we achieved team outcomes in a measurable way that equated to when we had people in a room together. Now, are there still advantages to having people in a room together? Yeah, it feels better. But it's not a showstopper by any stretch. And there's even some ways in which a virtual mode makes it safer for people than in person. Once again, we talked about old rules to break with Mark Samuel, and you can find him at bstate.com. Mark, this was great. Uh, We're going to chat more, and you're welcome to join us on uh, the various platforms where we are in the video and and engage there. And uh, I just want to thank you so much. This has been very, very good. Well, thank you, Tony, for having me and and for really having the guts to say, let's go and after those broken rules, because those are the things that are sacred cows. To most people in team building. So we're hitting it right up front. So thank you for that. <laughs> I love breaking rules. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's our new slogan. Mark, thank you so much. Thanks, Tony. And here's an insider's brief about the digital divide. Now, having a computer or a smartphone is something that a lot of us take for granted. High speed internet? Can't live without it, right? But you know, it may surprise you, and it really has surprised me, that tens of millions of people in the United States, many who live in rural areas, they don't have access to this kind of basic technology that a lot of us, I guess, who are we, the city dwellers? A lot of us, we take for granted. We rely on this to communicate each and every day. I did not realize it was such an issue. Did you? And you know, it can lead to a lot of social and economic challenges. Well, with us, we have Stephen Mesnick, General Manager of U.S. Broadband, Viasat, Inc. He's going to tell us more about the issue and what's being done about it. Hi, Stephen, and welcome to Insider's Brief. Hey, I appreciate the opportunity to talk today and, and talk about a topic that, that's really important to me personally and, and Viasat overall, which is, you mentioned the, the digital divide, uh, digital inequality, which really boils down to this fact. There is about 42 million Americans who don't have access to high-speed broadband at their home. In an era that we're living in now where internet access, no matter where you live, is completely critical to essential services like healthcare, education, remote work. So, um, you know, it's just a shame that we have this many people in the U.S. in 2022 who still cannot access the internet from home. It is like out of sight, out of mind, because we, especially us in the city or the periphery, we have it. We, we, we take it for granted. You know, I turn on my cell phone every day. I, I look at it throughout the day. I'm on my computer all day long. I don't think about, well, once you set it up, it's sort of like set it up and forget it sort of thing. I didn't realize it was such an issue. And perhaps let's drill into it just a little bit more and let's talk about why is it a digital divide? Why is it such an issue? Why, why, why doesn't everybody have good internet because satellites, well, they tell us that they can hit everywhere. So what's going on with this? Yep. So there's the kind of the have and have not, Tony. So what that really means is you have your traditional internet service providers, your Verizon, AT&T, Comcast, Cox, Charter, right? And they put down fiber or cable and they pick and choose where they want to offer it. And frankly, they pick and choose where to offer it based on where they think they can make a return on their investment, right? And so if there's a neighborhood and it's too spread out or it's too remote or they think the people can't afford to pay, they're not going to make that investment. Satellite internet, uh, which is what Viasat uh, specializes in, has a very different model. We make a significant investment up front. 
we launch a satellite into space. It sits about 22,000 miles up. And then the idea is that anyone who can see the sky can get access to that service. We don't pick and choose which households we like or which ones we don't. We want there to be ubiquitous service availability for everyone, which is a very different model than some of the other traditional internet service providers. Stephen, we hear of, you know, many satellites up there. Why don't we have this service already? I mean, some systems, and I don't want to mention other companies, they rely on satellite. They say, hey, we're giving you all this, all these TV programs and this and that through satellite. So I still kind of just don't understand why it's such an issue. So TV services have been direct TV dish, right? For a very long time, they've been broadcasting. You know, you, you can get your call it linear TV through those services. Broadband has always been a little more difficult, right? Especially now the usage is getting greater and greater and people want higher speeds. So for example, we just launched new packages that have minimum speeds of 25 megabits per second, uh, up to 150, right? And so it's because the demand on the network continues to grow. No different than a cell phone where it used to be people had maybe a BlackBerry and they would send messages back and forth. And now the expectation on your phone is you should be able to watch video anywhere you are at any given time. So I think that's what the technology has to keep evolving to keep up with the demand that people now have for their home internet. It's starting to sink into my brain now. It's all about the speed. Mm. And now I'm thinking, all right, so we're going to give this speed to 42 million just Americans, let alone a bazillion people around the world. What kind of opportunities is is this going to do? What is this going to do to our economy as well as our social lives once this gets rolling? Yeah, I tell you, the, the pandemic over the last few years really put a spotlight on this digital divide because in March 20, you know, 2020, all of a sudden, overnight, the only way to talk to your friends largely was you know, over the internet. To do your job, you were remote. And maybe most importantly, for your children to go to school, you had to have home internet access. And I think that is, it shows you the fundamental necessity now. It's not a nice to have, it's you need water, you need electricity, and homeless people say the third leg of the stool now is you need broadband in order to participate in society, in order to earn an income, in order for your children to get an education, in order to visit your doctor. So I think I said we went from the internet being a nice to have to a must have to even just be a you know, participating member of the U.S. society. You know, as you're saying this, Stephen, I'm thinking my audience were entrepreneurs, were businessmen. And all of a sudden, I can feel like I have this perception. The light bulbs are going off. 42 million people are going to have access to this. That is a great number of opportunities and businesses that can just open up for us if we, if we learn how to pinpoint. Now, this is, this is really this is, this is amazing for someone that says that they need some work to do or they need a bright idea. There's a lot here. How do we know what areas are affected or not? And is there, is there a good way to pinpoint, perhaps maybe it's on your website, where, where you are or not? But how would we be able to work on and focus on this opportunity and make something of it, do you think? Yes, yeah, so I usually tell people, they say, you know, we, we provide service everywhere in the United States. That's, that's an easy one. If you need service and you can't get it, you can go to viasat.com, right? And you can view our website. What's really fascinating to me is, what you can do first is you can go to your local cable uh, telecom company, and if they're not available, 
which oftentimes they're not, then you know we are, right? It's kind of the default. And I'll tell you, the proof point for me, people say, well, how do I know this is going to work, right? Satellite from space, that sounds kind of hard, right? How do I know it works? I'll tell you, uh, Viasat, we are on JetBlue, United Airlines, American Airlines, Delta Airlines. We provide the ability for you to sit in the seat on the back of the plane and stream Netflix, okay? And so I always tell people, if we could provide that kind of connectivity and speed at five miles up in the air at 500 miles an hour, then we can definitely provide service to someone's home. All right. This is really, really interesting. So we are now going to cover, and how long would this take to, let's say, close this digital gap? What's, what's the prognosis on, on the timeline on this? Yeah, I tell you, it's not so much a technology issue as much as um, we have the technology and it's available. There's also the affordability issue that's stopping people from getting the service, right? So our services right now, we just rolled out some new plans. They're called choice plans. They start at $49.99 a month, which for many people, that's a, a reasonable price they could afford. However, there are those who still can't afford even that. And so there's a program now uh, sponsored by the federal government called the Affordable Connectivity Program. And the goal of this program, frankly, is to get the price down for broadband. So if you happen to be a person who can qualify for this program, generally it's lower income individuals, you can look up the Affordable Connectivity Program. The government will verify that your income level, and it'll take $30 off your monthly internet service, $75 if you happen to live on tribal land, which brings internet service from Viasat, for example, down to $19.99 starting per month. That's the kind of level, if we can get that kind of affordability, that's where I think we can start to really put a dent into this digital divide by giving people service wherever they want it and something they can afford. It's really, really fascinating. And I think part of the key on this is, is, is broadband and what the definition is. We hear this term, but we don't really sink into it. It's, am I right? It's, it's everything. It's cell phone. It's video. It's audio it's everything that is able to stream and and stream literally stream not like buffer or anything am i right on on what that will do for us yeah so our services now started this new choice plans 25 megabits per second someone says what's a what's a megabit per second the bottom line i always say it's not about the speed it's what you can do or not do with it and at 25 meg you can stream video you can stream audio you can listen to a podcast you can do a zoom call you could do all the critical things that you need to do. And if you want more speed because you want to be able to watch multiple high-definition channels at the same time, right? You want to make sure your kids in one room aren't interfering with what you're doing in another room. We have speeds up to 150 megabits per second, which is as fast as anyone would need to pretty much do anything they can imagine in their home. You know, I'm thinking the world's largest retailer in the world. I said that twice, I know. Being silly. It started in rural areas. I'm talking about Walmart. It started in small, little, itsy-bitsy little towns. And these are the towns that don't have access to everything, which are now mm-hmm. going, to, going to have this. So it's, it's really quite something. So for all you entrepreneurs and businessmen out there, don't overlook that. You can really start something big by taking advantage of this opportunity. And Stephen, where can we go to find out more about this and, 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 and just learn about the whole thing as well as see the progress unfold? Yep. So you can go to viasat.com backslash internet, or if you're one of those folks who still likes to talk to a person, I know those are few and far between these days, you can call 833-5, number 
Viasat, V-I-A-S-A-T. That's 833-5-VIASAT. Stephen, I want to thank you so much for joining us on the Tony D'Urso Show. I really appreciate this, this heads up, and I really hope to see a lot of people take advantage and help a lot of people. It's not just taking advantage. It's really bringing a good service to a lot of people in need. I want to thank you so much for telling about this. Appreciate it, Tony. Thank you for having me. Hey, thanks for hanging out with me while I featured an elite entrepreneur who took his vision to reality. We discussed old rules to break with Mark Samuel. That was a blast. Let's break some rules. We talked about the six old rules about teams that need breaking. We talked about three team competencies that no one teaches. So what do you think? Which one resonated the most with you? Any aha moments? Let me know. And please remember supporting the show with a nice review on Apple Podcasts, as well as comments on the video platforms. It really helps us grow. We want to help people. So your involvement, your sharing, your engagement really helps us. So if you want to help us grow and help you grow, please do so. And share this with a few friends to help them too. It's all about friends helping friends. All right? Use this and let's help you move on your journey to success. Thanks and remember, everyone, just take action. Success awaits those who persevere and remain steadfast despite the odds. Sow good seeds, do good deeds, and join me on the next episode of The Tony D'Urso Show. We hope you've enjoyed this week's edition of the Tony D'Urso Show with his key influencers. Be sure to tune in again next Friday at 5 p.m. Eastern Time, 2 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Influencers Channel.